You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. After more than two decades heading the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, a tenure in which he helped oversee 15 ballot initiative campaigns, raising billions of dollars for housing, transportation, homeless services, and more, today's guest, Carl Gordino, is hanging up his spurs. I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we're going to hold something of an exit interview with Mr. Gordino to discuss his storied time as president and CEO of this influential South Bay advocacy group, whose membership includes more than 350 major firms, a lot of which you would recognize. And in addition to that look back, we're also going to discuss his perspective on what it's going to take to get out of this current economic jam we're in. Carl Gordino, very familiar voice to many KCBS listeners, of course. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Keith, it's a pleasure to join you. Absolutely. And it's a familiar voice because, as we've just suggested, you've been involved in a lot of the most important policy campaigns of the last two decades. And uh, those were a particularly interesting 20-odd years we just came out of. We're talking about the uh, dizzying highs of the late 90s tech boom, then the dot-com bust, then... You know, the rest is history, everything else that came after that. It's uh, really been a time that has reshaped economic life here in the Bay Area in some pretty fundamental ways. You have been in the thick of it all along. Let's start with the obvious question here. You announced your planned resignation in January. Why now? 23 years has been an amazing time to try to make a positive difference for our region and our state through the role of CEO of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. And over the Christmas holiday last year, my wife Leslie and I took a lot of long walks and runs down in the desert and decided that it was time to try something new that as meaningful and positive as this has been, it would be wonderful to have one more big adventure in the innovation economy and uh, decided that the timing was right. The organization was and is strong, meaningful, positive, and it was a good time to allow someone else the opportunity. And when we talk about that something new, you had not selected a new role when you made that announcement back in January. But since then, you do know where you're headed next. And uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Keith, first, you're right. In January, when we made the decision on New Year's Eve, and I called the chair of my board of directors the next morning on January 2nd, I just never felt that in the role of a CEO that I should be out shopping for a new role without first telling my board my team and our 350 member companies, and then trusting that hopefully my skills and experience would lead to something else where I could make a meaningful contribution. Uh, So I offered to stay until a successor could be identified and placed, and uh, they thought that would take four months. That would have been May 1st, and then something called COVID-19 and shelter in place happened here in the Bay Area in California on March 17th offered to stay longer, and that's why my last date will be Friday, July 31. And over that time, there have been just some wonderfully uh, gracious uh, requests for me to join different teams. And the one that, that I selected 
is one that I'm truly passionate about, and it was the reason for the formation of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, and that is the important role that clean energy plays throughout our world for the lives and livelihoods of all of us. So on Monday, August 3rd, I will be joining visionary founder and CEO, K.R. Sridhar at Bloom Energy, whose mission matches mine to make sure that we have clean, reliable, affordable energy for everyone in the world. How can you not get excited about something as inspiring and as essential as that? Well, you found your way to getting excited about many, many different policy initiatives over the last uh, 20 odd years. And I, I think it would be helpful if because I'm, I'm sure our listeners, you know, come election time, they've seen those ballot initiatives on their ballot. They know what that looks like. But uh, reading about your work a little bit, there is uh, an awful lot, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot of phone calls, a lot of pavement pounding that goes into getting those ballot initiatives there and uh, making them successful. So I'm, I'm a little bit curious for uh, your perspective on what it actually takes to make that happen. Help us understand what your job has been this last uh, 20 odd years. As CEO of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, 350 member companies, but a firm belief that not only innovation economy employers should be working together, even when they're fierce competitors in the marketplace, but it is also our responsibility to bring communities together so that the issues that we tackle are as important in the boardroom of a company as they are in a living room of people like you and I and our families, Keith. And that's why our intersection of issues have been what we call the issues facing the Bay Area. And the is an acronym for T, transportation, H, housing and homelessness, E, education, and the second E, energy and the environment. Those are the issues that challenge the Bay Area's success, both from a quality of life perspective, as well as an economic opportunity perspective. And through direct democracy in a positive, proactive way, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group has led 15 countywide, regional, and statewide ballot initiatives around those issues. Transportation, housing, homelessness, open space, Bay Area flood protection, and education. All told, 14 successes out of 15 campaigns are generating $40 billion in local revenue for the improvements that we all know that regional residents deserve. Now, just to uh, take a step back from what was actually done, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your philosophy and, and, and what drove you to do that, because there's, there's a theme that comes up in a lot of the interviews that you've given over the years. You talk a lot about the marriage between, you call them your two passions, that is America's innovation economy on the one hand, and then on the other, the building of stronger communities. So uh, I think for a lot of folks, you know, we're, we're, we're having this conversation in 2020 after some rough years for Silicon Valley. A, a lot of folks would see uh, the tech firms and Silicon Valley more broadly as occasionally antagonistic to the interests of uh, local community members. And, and you know, we see protests. We see the, the, the Google bus protests over the past couple of years. It's, there's, it's been some pretty fraught times. Tell us why, in your view, these are two things that go together, community interest and the interest of uh, these uh, companies that are, are members of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. 
Keith, it's such an important point that you're making because we have choices in life, whether it's personal or professional, we can divide or we can unite. And I've always viewed my role as a servant leader, uh, as a bridge of bringing people together. And that can be the disparate voices of 350 different CEOs who are often fierce competitors in the marketplace, but should be wonderful collaborators in the community space, but also those companies and the communities and individuals with whom we live here in the region, state, and nation. And when we have an opportunity to bring people together like that, we can truly make a positive, proactive difference. And I'll give just a, a quick example of how we can bring people together. And it is a philosophy that we have at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group of ownership. And you feel more ownership when you build a product or when you buy a product. And we've always felt that when people are actually building something together, they feel ownership for that rather than just buying into it afterwards. So when we build coalition around any initiative, we don't come to the broader community with, hey, look, here's our solution. Aren't we great? Come follow us. We start the hard way with a blank sheet of paper that only says what the challenge is, and then we build the solution together. And by doing so, we bring together disparate voices for a common cause. It's a belief in this, Keith, that uh, we call it the 95-5 principle. As diverse as we are, we probably agree on the solutions on issues like housing and homelessness and transportation and open space protection about 95% of the time. And we spiritedly disagree about 5%. All too often in society, we get so wrapped up in the 5% in which we will never agree that we lose sight of the 95% where we do agree and we could be making positive progress for our communities. We focus on the 95%. We ignore the 5%. And we make great strides forward as a community and as a community of companies by focusing on those areas of agreement. All right. Well, a lot more history to tick through in just a second. Real quick, I want to remind our listeners that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth, a weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I am Keith Manconi. Today, we are speaking with Carl Gordino, outgoing president and CEO of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, about his two-decade tenure during which he played a hand in some of the Bay Area's most important policy initiatives. And, well, let's, uh, let's put some meat on those bones. We're, we're, we're getting a little bit abstract. Uh, what, what would be an example of an initiative that was particularly hard fought of those 15 of the 14 that you won over the last uh, 20 years what would be one that was particularly hard fought but you managed to find some common ground with the folks that were not so keen on the idea a great example of that success of working together of building bridges rather than burning them down is what we celebrated on the morning of saturday june 13th and that was the opening after two decades of work to bring BART to Silicon Valley. That opening didn't happen because of one celebration. It happened because of two and a half decades of perspiration and inspiration. Four ballot initiatives that I had the pleasure of leading, one in the year 2000 in Santa Clara County, uh, Measure A, which passed by 70 
5.4% of the vote. That was to build the first 10 mile extension in terms of the capital construction. Then in 2008, in the heart of an economic downturn, Measure B passed with 67.78% of the vote for the operation and maintenance of that first 10 miles of the extension. And then Measure B in 2016 passed by 71.4% of the vote for funds for the six-mile extension that will bring BART to downtown San Jose and on to Santa Clara. And then Regional Measure 3 that had funds for that BART extension and 34 other Bay Area transit improvements took all four of those measures, three layers of state and federal funds that we were able to attract because of those four local and regional measures. And at the end of the day, by building coalition, we built that extension. That segment one, which opened on June 13th, segment two, which should open by about 2028, will serve 90,000 weekday passenger trips. 90,000 trips that won't be uh, relying on stalled cars, but will be able to get folks onto BART cars instead. That's the type of practical way that we try to add value to our region. You know, in hearing you uh, talk about that, it's it's just striking to me how many different complicated things had to go right in order for this project to get completed. And I, I, I am I bring this up too much on the show, but uh, it's uh, it, it drives a lot of my perspective on these things. I grew up in Milpitas and uh, we were have been waiting for that BART extension for quite a long time. And it just, you know, I think a lot of people down here were really hoping to see that an awful lot sooner. So on the one hand, it's, it's uh, quite incredible how many people uh, put so much work into this to make this happen, and, and that is a success story in a sense. But in another sense, doesn't it speak to the way in which this fragmented, many-veto system that we have here in the Bay Area, where there's so many people that can say no and, and, and sue you with CEQA requests and whatnot, doesn't it speak to the, the difficulty and unwieldiness of the Bay Area uh, policy, decision-making uh, system that we have at this point? It is. And remember the amazing words of Winston Churchill that uh, democracy is the worst form of government in the world unless you compare it to everything else. Yeah. So democracy is messy. And um, participatory democracy is also difficult. But fortunately, we have the ability for direct democracy. You and I as private citizens, not solely are a public elected leaders, that can drive positive change. So as you look at that 20-year spectrum, four different ballot measures, three rounds of state and federal funds, that's three different mayors of San Jose, 20 different chairs of the Valley Transportation Authority, numerous different members of Congress, three diff four different governors working through that thread. This consistency was the business community through the Silicon Valley Leadership Group who said, our employees and their families deserve transit alternatives that are better than the soul-sucking uh, commute that too many of us realize on a daily basis in the Bay Area. And our founder, David Packard of Hewlett Packard, created the Silicon Valley Leadership Group just for that reason. Here was his quote, Keith. Our job as CEOs is not to sit on the sidelines and either cheer or jeer. Our job is to get in the game and move the ball forward. 
That means working with each other and the broader community to make this a better place to live and work. Mm. I'm, I'm curious, what what makes the difference between a successful campaign and an unsuccessful one? All those various people that you had to convince over the years to help make this um, BART extension happen, you did have that one experience of one unsuccessful measure. And uh, I think a lot of folks that have tried to get stuff done in the Bay Area have could have their own failure stories that they could add. What, what, what does it take to actually, I mean, is it the conversations you're having with the top political leaders? Is it, is it convincing people on the ground? What, what really makes the difference? The common components of a successful ballot initiative campaign, especially a campaign that requires a two-thirds vote, is to find common ground and to truly meet the needs of what voters and taxpayers are willing to reach into their own wallets rather than their own, uh, their neighbors' wallets to fund. And so it is truly meeting the needs. And that means in our case that we do early outreach to build coalition, to build common ground with both grassroots and grass, grass tops leaders. It means extensive outreach to uh, to you and I, everyday voters, to ask what they want through polling, through focus groups, through community conversations, and then building that plan together. We usually spend two to three years before we actually launch the campaign itself, which is that final drive of four to six months of 100-hour weeks to lead those campaigns. And it's because we've built the foundation around what is needed to meet the needs of the Bay Area. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, a lot more to talk about. Real quick, one last time, I want to remind our listeners that you are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, we're having a conversation with Carl Gordino as he prepares to step down as president and CEO of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, a role that he's held through two decades of rapid-fire Bay Area change. And Let's take a look back on some of that change for a moment, because there certainly has been major expansion over the last two decades, but it's also come with its own share of dislocation. And for many people, the increase in tech jobs has also meant an increase in housing prices, other cost of living prices, and it's pushed a lot of people out of the Bay Area. And for the people that are still here, I think a lot of folks feel that their quality of life has gone down pretty substantially. So I, I, I don't want to say that everything is doom and gloom, but to the extent that things are going wrong in the Bay Area right now, what, in your view, is behind that? Why have things gone wrong in the ways that they have? And it's wonderful to have been born and raised in what was called the Valley of the Heart's Delight. And now is Silicon Valley known throughout the world as the Earth's epicenter of innovation. And it has been a shame as someone who has spent all 58 years of his life here to see the challenges in terms of high costs, primarily around the high cost of housing. And we have an expression at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, data, not, not dogma, facts over fiction. So here are the facts around the housing challenge, not only here in the region, but throughout the state of California. The facts are this, Keith. It has been since 1978, 32 years since California has consistently met the, the growth in homes to meet our average population growth on a yearly basis. 32 years of neglect. California should be producing 200 
thousand homes each and every year for more than the last decade just to come to keep up with California's population growth. We average less than 80,000 homes. And people wonder why homes have become so exorbitantly priced. It's not just a Silicon Valley or a Bay Area problem. It's a problem in almost all 482 cities in all 58 counties in California because we're not building the homes that our own families and our own children need. And that has been why it's become such a challenge exacerbated here in the Bay Area. For anyone to blame jobs, which the last time I checked, I'm glad I have a job. Bet you're glad that you have a job at KCBS. Jobs aren't the problem. The problem is we're no longer building homes for 32 years for those families that each of those jobs represent. So let's get to the real problem. We need to be building homes that build better communities throughout the Bay Area and throughout California. Let's not blame jobs, especially when we've realized since March during this pandemic that 5,450,000 hardworking Californians have lost their jobs through this economic downturn. Let's grow those jobs back, but let's grow the homes that we need to house those jobs and the families that they represent. And in your view, what are the biggest barriers to getting those houses into the Bay Area? Is it largely zoning issues, local control issues? What's what's the biggest hiccup in your view? The biggest challenges are um, around legitimate concerns that people have about, well, if we add a home, what is that going to do to our already exacerbated transportation system or other quality of life issues, which brings us back to why we have to continue to build transportation improvements that meet the needs of a robust regional and statewide economy. What we do at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, one, we try to be a voice for the voiceless. Over the past 20 years, in my role as CEO, we have examined and endorsed well over 300 affordable home developments that are gonna meet the needs of so many of our neighbors who want to live and work in the same communities in which we entrust them with, uh, with jobs here. Uh, and by showing up at public hearings, by being a voice for the voiceless, by thoughtfully providing support and testimony to city and town councils and planning commissions, we have won almost all 300 of those thoughtful developments that build not only homes, but better communities in the process. Uh, and that has been a key role that we've played is supporting those improvements. And I would mention we do that as an innovation economy community, not a community of companies that represents home builders. We actually don't allow home builders in the, in the membership of the leadership group so that no one can question our motives as to why we are supporting home developments. The next thing, though, that you alluded to, Keith, is what are the other stumbling blocks that we face around a home construction? And yes, there are some regulatory barriers at the local and state level that we need to continue to work through. And we'll do that thoughtfully locally, as well as in Sacramento, so that we can continue to build homes. So here were those big numbers again, though. California builds about 80,000 homes a year. 
just to keep up with our population growth, that number should be a little over 200,000 homes a year. And that is what has exacerbated home costs over the past 32 years. Referring to the work of more, uh, I I suppose you could call it government interventionist-minded thinkers, I'm thinking in particular of uh, UC Berkeley professor Richard Walker, he, he does place the blame squarely on the uh, on, on on the jobs themselves and the and the high wages that are driving up other cost of living issues in the Bay Area and I I, I guess what I'm getting at is there is let's take the Google Village as an example so the Google Village is going up in the middle of San Jose and it's going to bring with it a lot of jobs also a lot of housing but a lot of local advocates feel that it's not going to bring enough housing and they're worried that it's going to drive up the cost of living in San Jose and throughout Santa Clara County so. Obviously, Google is uh, has made promises to offset that with investments in housing. But from the perspective of local advocates, they are worried that it's just not going to be enough. And I think that that speaks to trust, that there is really this breakdown in trust between local residents and the role that these companies are playing at this point in our uh, local communities. What do you make of that mistrust that's really developed over the last 10 years? And again, this is an example, respectfully, of fiction over fact. Uh, first of all, any polling that you do around how people in San Jose, residents, taxpayers, and voters feel about Google coming to downtown San Jose, it's supported by about four out of five, 80% of San Jose voters and taxpayers. They know that not only is it, will it produce about 20,000 high-skill, high-wage, high-tech jobs, but the Uh, but the jobs that are indirectly or induced that also grow from that. They know that that provides money for the city of San Jose for for better and more police protection, services, parks, et cetera. They know that the design of that Google development is an open design to be a part of the community. They know that it is a transit-oriented development that we all crave to help strengthen our transit system and, um, and, and help address uh, the traffic and congestion challenges of the Bay Area. So when you have four out of five taxpayers and voters actually supporting that proposal, it's not, it's not just the voices of the one out of five that may show up and say they're against it. It's the four out of five that are supportive. In terms of saying that jobs are a challenge or a problem, especially in an economic downturn, again, flies in the face of the strength of uh, of a strong economy that we should be applauding and not arguing against. Uh, so I haven't heard of the of the professor that you are referencing, uh, but again, uh, what we would strongly um, suggest is that the growth of jobs is a strength for this region and, and for California. One other point on this, in terms of employers Uh, contributing to the solutions around housing. And this is why the Silicon Valley Leadership Group created Housing Trust Silicon Valley 20 years ago. Voluntary contributions, well over 350 million from employers contributed to date, 4 billion in private development leveraged through those voluntary contributions. 
30,000 new housing opportunities, divided one-third for people who are homeless or who are experiencing homelessness, one-third for affordable rental homes, one-third for people securing a new home through down payment and closing cost assistance. Uh, that's what we do as employers, stacking, stepping up in a positive and proactive way. So if we, if we, if we talk about that, one in five, so four in five in favor of the Google Village, and one in five against. I mean, even if it is just one in five, it is an increasingly vocal one in five. It's an increasingly, um, I would say, distressed one in five. And we've been hearing more and more from them in recent years. Do, do, do you agree that, at least for them, it speaks to a growing level of, of mistrust between uh, some of these companies and uh, their local communities? Um, again, what's wonderful about a democracy is we should hear from all voices. What we can't do is confuse a, um, a, a, a small amount of voices, 20%, as saying that that speaks for the other 80%. 80% but do, support. But do you think that more could be done to bridge that divide? We should always be building stronger bridges. Uh, but we also have to remember bridges go in two directions. And folks who are um, who are attacking tech companies doesn't mean it's the majority or even a strong uh, a, a strong subset of the electorate. And you mentioned Google buses, so let's use that as an example. We have employers in this region who are trying to help find solutions to our traffic problems in a number of ways. And when you add up employer shuttle buses of companies, small, mid-sized, and large, completely not at taxpayer expense, all at company expense, that would be the sixth largest transit agency in all of Northern California, zero taxpayer expense. When you see an employer shuttle with, uh, with 42 passengers on it, that means that 41 fewer brake lights in front of you because people who would be driving those cars alone are now on that single bus. We should be thanking companies for making that type of an investment in creative solutions to our traffic congestion rather than picketing them. Yeah. Well, we certainly have all enjoyed getting a little bit of a, of a respite from the traffic headaches over the last couple of months, although obviously at a, a very, very high cost. Let's pivot and talk about the current economic jam that we find ourselves in at the moment, because you are actually going to play a bit of a role in uh, helping us find our way out of it. You are one of the uh, members of an economic advisory council put together by San Jose. It's called the Silicon Valley Recovery Roundtable. And I know that you all are putting together a list of recommendations that are going to be released uh, for, you know, how to rejuvenate the local economy uh, amid this pandemic. It seems like we're no longer really going to be talking about the post-pandemic recovery because this is just going to keep going on and on. And we really need to be thinking more about the mid-pandemic recovery. Uh, I, I know that the uh, the recommendations aren't quite ready yet, but very curious for your thoughts. What is going through your head as you're trying to find solutions to all this? Mayor Sam Licardo of San Jose was gracious to come to me about eight weeks ago and said, uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Preeminently, we have to focus on public health. At the same time, we cannot forget the economic health of, of families throughout this region who 
uh, who we need to um, take care of as well. And he asked me to help him stand up the Silicon Valley Recovery Roundtable. And we selected 59 executives from uh, uh, employers, large and small, high-tech, low-tech, no-tech, public, uh, private, uh, nonprofit, for-profit, uh, profitable, not profitable, truly reflecting the economy overall, not solely the innovation economy. Uh, and because there is a sense of urgency in making sure that we take care of those who have been so adversely impacted through this global pandemic and the resulting economic downturn, that we gave ourselves 100 days. And that 100 days ends on August 17th. And we're focused on four core areas, Keith. One, how do we safely, and I'm going to underscore safely, how do we safely open up business sites again for hardworking Bay Area residents? Two, how do we ensure that we help the most vulnerable who often are hit the hardest during an economic downturn? And those tend to be people of color and our poorest residents throughout the region. Three, how do we help employers, especially small employers, survive and thrive through this downturn? And then four, how do we reimagine Silicon Valley through any lessons learned? And I'd love to come back to that one if we have time. So those 55 executives, in addition to trying to keep their own businesses afloat, are reaching out to help the broader community with practical, meaningful ways that are measurable to help us through this crisis. And I'll just give a couple of examples. That first working group that I'm co-chairing, and I'm co-chairing the overall effort as well, but the first working group of uh, how do we safely reopen employment sites in an appropriate way. One of those was around manufacturing, where so many hardworking middle-class folks 145,000 just in Santa Clara County alone need to get back to work safely with protocols. So we worked with board president Cindy Chavez of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors who worked with the, um, the other Bay Area boards of supervisors. And for the past six weeks, we've been able to reopen safely manufacturing facilities for those hardworking families. Two weeks before that, we did the same with solar installers to have boots back on roofs installing solar safely with protocols. And we've been able to do that. We're working now on office spaces and through health-based protocols, making great progress. So health being preeminent, but people's economic health also being a core factor that's what's coming out of the Silicon Valley Recovery Roundtable. Just a couple of seconds left. I'm wondering if you could, obviously, I mean, worth noting that you're not shuffling off the stage, uh, the public stage entirely. As we just mentioned, you're in that uh, economic council as well. You're involved in a number of uh, uh, boards for uh, various uh, enterprises and companies. So, uh, but nevertheless, uh, wondering if you could leave any closing thoughts now that your tenure is wrapping up. Uh, generally, feel, have uh, positive feelings for where we might be headed, uh, but maybe you could leave us with a glimmer of hope. Our best days are ahead. And if we have not learned anything through these challenging times, it's the strength of coming together and building community through hard times. When 
I think of uh, the way that our neighbors have taken care of each other here in the South Bay, that we're looking after elderly families in our neighborhood together, that we are using innovation economy tools in, in ways to communicate that we wouldn't have had a generation ago. We really have an opportunity to reimagine a valley that is even more inclusive. And through these troubling times where we have seen in inequities and racial injustice, I will be able to leave the leadership group with a new racial justice and equity emphasis as a pillar of our work so that we can work with policymakers at all levels of government on police reforms and other ways in which we can have more racial justice and equity but also to look deep within our own companies about our own hiring practices, compensation programs, promotions. What, to, what is the makeup of our own boards of directors, our own C-suites, our own mentoring opportunities, that we have a chance to speak up for racial equity, but also to stand up for better public policy, especially around police reforms, and to step up as individual companies in how we are trying to build more equity and more diversity and inclusion as companies. What a wonderful time to be a part of this rich region of diversity and to grow that diversity in ways that only makes our economy stronger. All right. Well, I'm just going to let our listeners bask in the warm glow of those uh, high expectations, and uh, hopefully we can all live up to them. There's a lot of work, as you just said, to be done by all of us. We have been speaking to a guy who has done a lot of his, you know, his share of a lot of that work, Carl Gordino. He is the outgoing head of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, served in that role for 23 years, heading out in just about a month. Thank you so much, Carl Gordino. Keith, it's been an honor. Thank you. I'm a big fan of KCBS and In-Depth. Wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for listening as well for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.